So we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars for a single site alone, just in order to reopen at 25%. Yes. Hello, and welcome to the Box Office Podcast. I am Rebecca Polly, deputy editor of Box Office Pro, a trade publication dedicated exclusively to the worldwide theatrical exhibition industry. I am joined today by Box Office Pro's editorial director, Daniel Loria, and our box office analyst, Jesse Rifkin. We have uh, a couple of subjects that we're going to talk about today. As always, how last weekend's box office shaped up, including an exclusive interview with the team behind a new theatrical release that's taken an interesting approach to marketing during the pandemic. And, of course, the big news and our main topic for this week, movie theaters being allowed to open in the state of New York. For once, Daniel, we don't have a huge shift on the release date calendar to talk about, which uh, which feels strangely good. Yeah, right. It's 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 a bit weird, sort of like starting a new week without any major changes to update on the release calendar. A welcome change. I appreciate it. And that's not the only bit of good news, Rebecca, because movie theaters in the state of New York, excluding New York City are allowed to reopen uh, finally. Can you tell us a little bit about that latest development we have in the ongoing struggle to get cinemas back open? The latest development is is probably that it's not as big as a development as it looks if you're just reading the headlines. You see the headline and it says, movie theaters can open in New York starting this Friday, October 23rd. As you know, that's only theaters in New York State outside of the New York City area which is, of course, the market that is hugely influential and important to this industry. And it's the one that everyone was waiting on to open. It will not this Friday. Elsewhere in New York, uh, you're going to be able to open at 25% capacity uh, with no more people than, than 50 in an auditorium. You know, the typical safety procedures that that theaters have already established in terms of uh, social distancing and, and, and all that sort of thing. And as in the case with California, the ongoing status of whether movie theaters are going to be allowed to remain open in New York State depends on the COVID numbers. Uh, you can open mm-hmm. as long as your percentage for, uh, I believe it's uh, positive COVID cases, it's under 2%. It has to be under 2% uh, over a two-week period, and you can't have any uh, cluster zones within your counties. As long as that's the case, you can reopen. And indeed, AMC has announced uh, that they are reopening uh, a few of their theaters in, in New York State, which is good news. You know, it's 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 something. I, I certainly wish we had some sort of uh, visibility on New York City. At this point, we don't, but it's something that we'll be keeping an eye on. That's still, you know, we're waiting on it. We're still going to be waiting on it. Seattle, over this past weekend, uh, AMC and Cinemark Theaters opened in Seattle. We had a big uh, movie-going resurgence in that city. And uh, at this point, we're still uh, we're still waiting on New York to be able to screen some of these new films uh, that are coming out. New York City, rather. And talking about New York reopening, we have the president of NATO of New York and the chief operating officer of Bowtie Cinemas, uh, Joe Masher, joining us on the podcast today to go into more detail on what exactly is happening in the New York market. But before we get to our guest, wanted to bring in our colleague Jesse Rifkin to speak about the box office and some of the new titles that moviegoers are seeing on the market. Thanks. 
And uh, great to be here on the podcast on episode 33. I've heard the previous 32 episodes and <laughs> glad to finally join you guys. So it's not just my mom listening to these things. That's good to know. Your, Thank your, you, your mom listens to the podcast? Mine doesn't. She's very kind. She's very kind. I don't call her enough. Now you're making me feel guilty. But but Jesse, we appreciate that. Uh, we're we're going to send you a free box office hat uh, later this afternoon. Now we, we've got we've got box office numbers coming in from over the weekend. Uh, how do we make sense of this? What ended up in the top five? Top five. Number one was a new Liam Neeson action thriller called Honest Thief. It's from the distributor Open Road Films. It started with $3.7 million. Now, for comparison, the other main action thriller with a big star that's come out since the pandemic has been Russell Crowe's film Unhinged. In August, that made $4.0 million, so just slightly more, but in the, in the same general range. In second place was last weekend's leader, The War with Grandpa, the Robert De Niro comedy from 101 Studios, finished in the runner-up slot with $2.5 million. That was down 31% from the previous frame, which is in keeping with previous sophomore frames for De Niro comedies, including minus 32% for Las Vegas and minus 34% for The Intern. And taking the bronze medal was Tenet uh, from Warner Brothers, the film that we've been talking about every episode since it came out. In third place, made $1.6 million. That's down minus 24%. And fourth and fifth place were a pair of Walt Disney re-releases from the 1990s, bringing it back for the Halloween coming up. Uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Tim Burton's stop-motion animated classic, uh, was re-released to theaters, took fourth place with $1.3 million. And then in fifth place was Hocus Pocus, uh, which came in just a little under a million with about 750,000 in fifth place. Both were in heavy VHS rotation in my household when I was a kid. Like heavy, heavy VHS rotation. I think we wore those out. Yeah, two beloved titles, as you note, Rebecca. I think they're they're big on a generation of moviegoers that grew up in the 90s that maybe have young kids going to the cinema today or folks like ourselves who just really like those movies that were on a heavy VHS rotation and that we can uh, get to see on the big screen. And uh, coming number six, Jesse, we were able to have an interview with the filmmaker and some of the folks distributing this title, Two Hearts. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the performance and the interview that uh, you wrote up for our website? Sure. That film came in sixth place. It's a new movie from Freestyle Releasing. It's a faith-based romantic drama following two uh, seemingly unrelated storylines, one following a businessman who falls in love with a flight attendant on a flight that he takes back in the 1960s, or maybe 1970s, the other following two college students who fall in love in the 2000s. These two couples seem unrelated, but over the course of the film, their stories slowly intertwine in an interesting way. This film was following in the footsteps of the Broken Hearts Gallery, uh, Sony's other romantic film that came out in August and was also one of the first major studio films to come out after the pandemic. That film opened with 1.1 million in August. This one opened a bit below that, actually at about half of that, at about 522,000 this weekend. And sharing some of those insights from Jesse's interview, we have Chris Charlambu, the head of acquisitions of Freestyle, sharing his own experience in acquiring a title and trying to find the right release date during a pandemic. We had to shift the date twice, twice. And um, <laughs> we, had, we were initially thinking we, we had to do it two times. And it, well, it was obviously the reality of COVID, number one. 
um, where what was open. The the second time when we decided to move the excuse me decided to move the final and third time into our date August sixteenth this Friday, it um, was a concern that theaters were going to still not be open or not have enough of a runway for us to feel comfortable. Um, so that was the primary issue, quite honestly. It was a complete different playbook, uh, Dan. It was completely different than a traditional thinking about uh, threading the needle through other releases and competitive titles out in the marketplace. It was about trying to um, uh, you know, work along the lines of something that is unworkable, something that you cannot legislate, uh, a pandemic. So um, that's that's where why that's the the sole uh, to be honest that was the sole methodology in determining our release date was working through the pandemic and obviously considering where there would be an audience just overall in the feeling for a movie like this to come out obviously not on Halloween weekend I, I don't know you know just thinking out loud things like that finding uh, a, a space for it and you know once they were able to to find the space on that calendar came the challenge of how exactly do you market a film during a pandemic? We've spoken about the challenges of a major studio title like Warner Brothers Tenet finding some of that mindshare among a general audience. And the challenge of doing so was a little bit different for the folks uh, that were handling two hearts. Jesse, you were able in your interview to come up with some interesting figures in the sort of social engagement this title had accomplished online. How many, what what was it, Twitter, YouTube, how many YouTube trailer views had it picked up? As of the moment we were recording the podcast, it was at 38.7 million. By the time you're listening to this episode, it might have crossed 40 million. (laughs) It's, It's crazy that they were able to get so much traction for a trailer for the film. And we have here Lauren Schwartz, who worked with the producers in getting the right marketing strategy for the title? Well, I mean, to start off with, we knew that we had to tell the story of this movie. First and foremost, that's the one thing that gets people to go into a theater is you have to make it, you have to tell a story via trailer, via all the materials you have, publicity, a story that they want to hear, they want to see based on a true story. So we started with that. We were then thrown the pandemic. So it felt like we were threading two different needles. The first needle was how do you market the movie in and of itself? to a young audience and to a faith audience, to older females. And with the pandemic, we realized that threading that needle was about establishing who is going to theaters. We moved the movie two times in order to kind of keep backing our way into hopefully what would be a more open season or um, more people going into theaters. And threading that needle was about establishing what markets are open, uh, what add for lack of a better phrase, what red states, what markets and what audiences in those markets are more willing to go to theaters, locating them, uh, doing special ticketing, because we've learned through research and through the the research companies that we use that 43% of audiences, moviegoers, don't know that movies are playing in their market, in their theater, in their in their city. So we then established a special ticketing where we um, basically personalized every ticketing uh, messaging to that city saying, hey, Boston or hey, Dallas, uh, your theater is open near you, check out tickets. That was important for us too. So there was a lot of learning moving ahead and trying to get this movie out and trying to find out where the audience is is, is more apt to go see the movie. It was, uh, it was definitely a challenge. We have a really champion team that we use, uh, a targeting programmatic team. And we knew that we were going after, and this, ha- this is what we do. And 
Screen Gems and the other movies that I've worked on is we went after young females and we went after older females, romance fans, inspirational drama fans, faith fans. And we've catered the messaging in the trailer to be attractive to them and through different testing and understanding how we needed to message and what and how to construct the trailer properly. We came across something that we knew tested very well and also that those audiences or those targets or those buckets, as we like to call them, uh, would be receptive to it. And we just aimed at them. We just pushed. We were like, I call it sniper mode. We were very much sniper mode towards those audience. Men, as much as they will come to this theater because women are the driving force when it comes to a date night. But we really wanted to make it that females were our audience. And we didn't we don't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of money in media. And we knew that we really needed to focus our buy. And we focused it on young females because of the Jacob factor and older females because of the story, the inspiration, the hope, uh, the, you know, the, the connection of the movie. And that's something that they would be receptive to. And it worked, I guess, obviously. I find that that really interesting. And, and it's something that makes sense, given the nature of the film, the content of the film, and certainly the, the world that we're existing in now where you can't market to maybe a, a huge wide audience that you might want to get. And, and moreover, you don't really necessarily want to market it to everybody. You want to market it to uh, more specific groups, not just geographically, but in terms of the audience that you're going to reach out to. Jesse, what was your take on that? That's right. The film actually had a 76% female audience on its opening weekend. And while the film earned a B cinema score overall, it earned a much higher A cinema score among women aged 18 to 24. Wow, that's really the prime demo. And it really goes to show, is, is I think your, your interview does, in portraying how the importance of a diverse film calendar with films that can really hit all different demographics and appeal to a number of different people can work successfully in the market. Now, you have some re-releases in the market over the weekend. You had a couple of action titles. And you have a title like, the, like this also complementing that whole picture for the trip back to the movies. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us again. We appreciate it. Looking forward to, to getting you back on in the coming weeks to speak more box office. And moving on to the feature segment of the podcast, we have the interview with our colleague from NATO of New York and the COO of Bowtie Cinemas, Joe Masher, to speak to us more about that New York reopening. Joe, thanks again for joining us. A lot to talk about, obviously, with the... Finally, the, the big news that the state of New York will be allowing cinemas to open, although there's still a bit of a haze around what exactly these rules mean. Could you go over basically what you guys got from the state and, and your own analysis of, of what that means and how attainable it is for cinemas to adapt to those standards? Sure. Uh, many months ago, NATO of New York State, of which I am the current president, gave the state of New York a set of guidelines. This is before the CinemaSafe protocols were put out. Basically, they were the guidelines that uh, we employed in Connecticut at Bowtie Cinemas and some of our other members uh, who had theaters in other states employed as well. Um, we then gave the governor's office CinemaSafe, uh, the you know, national NATO set of protocols, as soon as they were issued and hadn't heard anything for a while. Um, last Friday, uh, this past Friday, uh, late in the afternoon, we had a call, we being myself, uh, John Fithian from NATO and Bob Sunshine also from NATO of New York State, our executive director, had a call with uh, several of the governor's key people. Uh, this is the first time that we got to talk with a lady named Melissa DeRosa, who's special counsel to the governor. 
Uh, she is the lady that's always sitting to his left on all of the press conferences that he does online and on television. And also Robert. We've gotten Mujica. well familiar with looking at her over the, <laughs> over yeah. the last few months. Yes, yes. And Robert Mujica, who's the uh, state budget director. So we'd spoken to him in the past, but uh, not to Rebecca. So uh, we expressed our sincere concerns about uh, the industry and the detriment that not having New York City open is doing to it. And, you know, previously, NATO of New York asked uh, a formal request of the governor to allow theaters to reopen in counties, treating each borough of New York as a county where um, the COVID rate was 1% or less for two weeks in a row. And then we would be subject to you know, shut down if there was a spike in that county, provided that other similar businesses, such as bowling alleys, uh, restaurants, gyms, uh, were treated the same way. We didn't get much of a response to that request. And then uh, this past Friday during the phone call with um, Rebecca, we were very, very encouraged. She uh, thanked us for our patience and understands our frustration. And previously, uh, the, the previous week, our lobbyists up in Albany had a call with Rebecca and explain to her the importance of New York City to the worldwide movie-going market and the fact that all of the movies are getting pushed off of the calendar, uh, either to next year or worse yet under streaming, um, because New York and, of course, Los Angeles weren't open yet. Um, and just that we hadn't had anything from New York, while Los Angeles had some uh, some guidance and you know some 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 action, but right, know, at least a goalpost that we can sort exactly. of aim for. Exactly, they had it. They had it. They had a bullseye to aim for. Um, so. Uh, at the end of the call, uh, she did say that uh, they would be uh, issuing some guidance for theaters and announcing us in the next few days, perhaps uh, by the end of this week, the week that we're in now. So Saturday morning, I kept my appointment. I was on Fox and Friends, and I didn't slam the governor, but we did have our um, you know call to action the previous week where uh, theater marquees all across the state put up a message that said theaters are now open in 48 other states safely. Why not New York, Governor Cuomo? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I explained all this on Fox News, how uh, the importance of the New York theater market is. Three hours later, surprise, the governor's on a press conference on Saturday and he announced that we can open in counties where the infection rate is 2% or less rolling uh, for two weeks, uh, two weeks rolling. And so you had you had no notice on that? that- no, none. Um, the power of Fox and Friends in, in the right. American political system in 2020. That, that's right. incredible and, and frightening at the same time. Yeah, I mean, clearly they were working on it. I'm not saying it was due to the Fox right, and Friends right. period, but yeah. it's a good thing I didn't slam him on the Fox and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Closing the loop on the question that you asked me five minutes ago, um, <laughs> the guidelines. So, uh, the, you know, leading up to this, uh, Rebecca had said that they reviewed our cinema safe protocols. And they'd be issuing guidelines. And when they did, we shouldn't be surprised. She didn't think there was going to be anything in there that was surprising. So, um, you know, we did ask in our request that theaters have a 50% capacity. They went to 25% with a maximum of 50 per auditorium. Um, They uh, want, you know, six feet, obviously, distance and barriers and et cetera, et cetera. Um, all All the basic cinema safe stuff, except when we get to air filtration. So they want to ensure that the HVAC system meets the highest rated filtration compatible with the currently installed filter rack and air handling system at a minimum of a MERV 13 rated filter. Um, they also put HEPA in there in, in the guidance again, which we told them just won't work. It's too dense and it'll you know, break the system. Mm-hmm. Um, they want a technician or an ASHRAE certified professional. That's the Association of uh, 
HVAC uh, people, um, or a, cert- a certified retro commissioning professional, or a New York State licensed professional engineer to certify that the theater has MERV 13 filters. For movie theaters with central air systems that can't handle uh, the th- those requirements, um, they basically want you know a filter. Uh, the highest level MERV 13 or greater, which obviously we can't work at, um, but they want us to install the um, infrared you know, systems that kill the virus up in the air handling system itself. Um, so the retro commissioning of these systems is quite costly. Those systems of infrared lighting are about $2,500 per unit. Wow. And as you're aware, most theaters have multiple HVAC units, one per auditorium, maybe one or two for the lobby, another one for the projection room. So uh, there are quite a few. Um, so we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars for a single site alone, just yes. enable, just in order to reopen at 25%. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And this isn't something that can come together, I mean, in, in, in a matter of, of days, a right? A few days. Before Friday. <laughs> and, yeah. and what's, what's the sort of how could you even get these uh, these HVAC um, or, or at least the MERV thirteen uh, filtration? Are those easy to get to attain, or is it a situation that things are in back order, kind of like getting a, a bag of rice here in New York City? Yeah, well, Daniel, it's a nightmare. It's like trying to get uh, toilet paper or paper towels. They're on ninety day back order right now. Wow, their MERV thirteen uh. greater rated filter. Um, so. You know, the obvious uh, choice is then to try to get the infrared system in as quickly as possible with a lesser rated filter. But, um, you know, you can't really uh, get those in so quickly either. I don't know what the back order is on those. I haven't really checked yet. We're regrouping today, uh, later this afternoon with our lobbyists and NATO people. And we have uh, our circuits all calling their um, air handling companies and asking you know, what the lead time is on filters, which we know is 90 days. I mean, that much we have so far. And the lead time on these infrared systems. Um, There are also a whole bunch of other, you know, air filtration building system uh, guidance things that are just incredibly complicated and complex. Are there still conversations happening with the governor's office right now where you can get back in touch with them and say like, hey, this this isn't quite feasible for us. Can we talk about this? Or is it, these are the rules deal with it. Yeah, I, our, our lobbyists are doing that now, and hopefully they're going to get some answers for us and some, some uh, you know, at least either another conference with us. Um, but they're, our, we're regrouping with our lobbyists at 3.30 this afternoon. Wow. Now, a big part of this, of course, uh, and what we've discussed is difficult enough to get theaters open in Syracuse or upstate New York. In the announcement that we got from the governor's office, New York City just said, hey, these are the rules for everywhere else, except for the one market that really needs to open in this conversation. Right. Can you tell us a little bit of, of why New York City is just strangely completely absent from, from this list from the governor's office? <laughs> a little strange. We did on the call with Melissa on Friday bring up, you know, treating the boroughs as the counties that they really are, um, you know, that we did discuss early on in the call uh, the entire state and how, you know, the governor's phased approach was a regional one. So, you know, region is a cluster of counties, obviously. Um, we said that really wouldn't be fair because if there's a spike in uh, the great example right now in Broome County in Binghamton, there's a spike. So they're above 2%. They cannot reopen Friday. And the neighboring county, Tioga, can't either. But uh, there's some other counties nearby that can reopen. Um, so it wasn't really fair to punish them, especially these mom and pop theaters in these upstate little towns that have just been uh, just, you know, destroyed by this. Um, 
So we did ask that the city be treated as boroughs. I'm sorry, the boroughs be treated as counties. And uh, Rebecca's response was, uh, yes, that that is possible. We are you know, considering that, but we also have to deal with the mayor. So I don't know what that means. I'm I think we know what that means living in New York City uh, for for a number of years here as is our, well, especially our international listeners might not be aware there is um, in a war of attrition, maybe we could call it uh, Mm -hmm. fairly and factually between uh, the New York state governor and the New York City mayor, uh, Mm -hmm. Cuomo being the governor, Bill de Blasio being the mayor where it seems like any, any sort of progress during uh, each of the respective terms I- involves some sort of spat on who has authority to do what. Unfortunately, that's, that's really prevented a lot of uh, projects from moving forward. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just heartbreaking to hear that, that the cinema reopening is now part of what seems to be a personal political fight between um, two men leading, uh, leading the pol- political sphere here in New York. Yeah. And the, the even more uh, disappointing thing is while I haven't checked the numbers today, uh, as of Saturday when the governor made the announcement and yesterday, three of the boroughs meet the criteria of being mm-hmm. 2% or less for a rolling two-week period. And those are Manhattan, the Bronx, and Staten Island. So theoretically, oh. Manhattan could reopen um, and you know, Bronx and Staten Island. Uh, they, I, I don't understand why. Um, that's going to be another focus of our 330 call. The first thing, obviously, is to straighten out the air handling so we can get our theaters open for Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is obviously getting Manhattan open as soon as possible. That is the big prize, and we can't let that go. I mean, we're going to keep fighting and keep banging on his door until we get answers and until we get uh, where we need to be. We were told, told earlier before, earlier last week, that the governor was not happy with our grassroots campaign plan to um, you know, to smear him on marquees, which really that wasn't, it was just a question. It wasn't necessarily a smear. Yeah. It's, and it's a legitimate yeah. question when you, you know, bring things up like uh, restraint of trade, for example. I think yeah. that's another question we have to ask, but yeah. without bringing those words up, uh, <laughs> just simply saying, Hey, how, how come this isn't uh, on your priority list while other things that, that you might personally enjoy uh, are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part, part of me understands, I mean, in, in Brooklyn, obviously in some neighborhoods, uh, we're seeing some pretty big spikes. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, we're not at the, the percentage that we would need to be to open. Right. Um, if theaters opened in Manhattan, people from Brooklyn would go into Manhattan to go to the movies. At yep. the same time, people from Manhattan are go- people from Brooklyn are going into Manhattan to go to museums and to yeah. restaurants right. and yeah. all this other stuff. So you can't close down no. borders between the boroughs. People from the boroughs are coming to to our theaters, our bow tie locations in New Jersey, and also in Connecticut. Now, over half of our business is from New York City and Westchester County. Wow! No, and I, I think it's it's understandable as we're approaching uh, what is it the seventh eighth month of theaters in New York State closed mm-hmm. by a government edict, and um, no, it's I think it's it's largely disappointing that uh, there's been. Very little visibility uh, until now, and and when it's given, of course, it's uh, one inconsistent, two incomplete, and three impossible for smaller exhibitors that need our help the most in this recovery effort. Yeah, we're in touch with a lot of them. Our mem- we have a lot of members uh, in small towns in upstate New York, and you know, one of our one of our best members, and um, I hope she listens to this because she really deserves a lot of credit for lobbying and helping us uh, in Western New York. A lady named Lynn Kinsella. She runs the Aurora Theater in East Aurora, New York, which is a suburb of Buffalo. And if you ever go there, the town is exactly like 
It's a wonderful life. It is beautifully preserved. It oh, is Fisher Price toys. So the whole town is like you're in a, like a Fisher Price toy, you know, exhibit or something. It's amazing. <laughs> and this single screen theater was built by uh, Mr. Price of the of the Fisher Price dynasty back in the 20s. Um, it seats 700 people. And Lynn's been the operator for the past uh, you know, several years. And she has a big decision to make. Her, her lease is up on December 1st. So can she open and make a go of it? Can she, uh, should she just give it up? But the town really rallied behind her. And all summer long, they did safe outdoor activities to fundraise for the theater. So they did outside yoga classes that had donations. They did outside um, events and, you know, small scale concerts for the theater. Um, all the neighboring stores just put collection canisters up to save the theater. Uh, she also she also has a, a popcorn shop in the lobby um, that, you know, helped as well. She was able to keep that running. So she was able to pay a few employees and keep the uh, the. Uh, you know, building in good shape, but, you know, not opening is a, is a, has been detrimental to her in a neighboring town about 15 miles away in uh, War, uh, Warsaw, New York. We have another uh, exhibitor. He has two theaters. He has the cinema uh, downtown Warsaw, the spotlight theater, and he has another one in Hornell, New York, he and his wife, and they're just struggling. They've got two locations and, you know, they just can't operate. And they're really the hubs of these towns, these Towns all have, you know, nice little mom and pop restaurants and shops and everything. And if the theaters go out, um, you know, not that the restaurants and shops are having an easy time of it either, but, you know, they all co they all co uh, coexist and are codependent on each other. So if the theater goes out, it spells doom and gloom for the rest of the town. Um, just look at a town with no theaters in it. It's not as vibrant as, you know, one of these little towns that has one. So, um, you know, they've been very, very good. Lynn and the operators, the, the Trait Line family, the operators of the other two theaters I've mentioned, have been very vocal and, and and helped us a lot in lobbying the government out in Western New York. What are you hearing from art house cinemas in New York? I know there was a, a, a survey going around a few weeks back, I guess, from a lot of the operators, um, mm -hmm. you know, within New York City being like, what's going on here, guys? Yeah. I mean, New York City has lost most of its art houses. I mean, you lost the landmark Sunshine. Landmark tried to replace it on the west side. That's gone. Um, Lincoln Plaza is gone, although I hear somebody's going to reopen it. I don't know who. Um, there's also a rumor that the East 86th Street Theater, the four screen theater on 86th Street, just off of Third Avenue, is going to reopen with a, another operator. But I mean, there are other, you know, art, house that, art houses that you know, have been around for a long time that are struggling. I mean, look at Cinema Village trying to get reopened and certainly the Quad Cinema, which is now under Landmark's control. But, um, you know, these are longtime art houses and the ones that that will survive, I think the, the best are the ones that are the nonprofits like the Film Forum and, you know, Anthology Film Archives, places like that. But, you know, the, the individually owned ones are certainly going to have a tough time with it because, frankly, the art product um, is getting few and far between the exclusive theatrical art product. Most of it is now, you know, small distributors are either just putting things on day and date or giving you like a one week window. It's been really tough. Looking at all of these things and, and how this entire fight to get New York reopened has developed, how much have you learned from the experience of other states? And crucially, is going the legal route with a, with a lawsuit something effective or something to even consider down the line for the state of New York and especially New York City? Our experience has been uh, good in Connecticut. I'm talking just about my chain. I mean, Bowtie, we were able to open early in June, and that's when you know movies were still scheduled in July. So uh, we did open, figuring we'd play two weeks of library titles, 
And in those two weeks, just all hell broke loose with the film calendar. And we had to shut right back down and refurlough everybody. And, you know, we lost quite a bit of money in those two weeks. Um, in New Jersey, uh, the governor there basically said, uh, Governor Murphy said theaters were the worst things in the world and opened everything else except theaters, kind of just like New York did. And uh, NATO of New Jersey decided to file a suit in federal court. And uh, the, the big uh, three chains were on that, um, as well as Bowtie and two other independent operators in Jersey. Um, we lost in federal court. The judge said all of your, you know, arguments against your constitution for your constitutional rights are valid, and you know the law is on your side. But I just can't rule against a governor in the time of pandemic. So that was the response we got there. So uh, in New York, uh, to be very honest, we've considered filing suit many, many, many times, uh, but were discouraged by some other big operators and also their parent companies of studios that didn't want us to, you know, upset the apple cart. I mean, everybody um, felt that suing Governor Cuomo would not be productive in our efforts to get theaters open. And honestly, I don't know if, if it would have helped or, uh, you know, given our experience in New Jersey, we figured we would have just uh, lost because the precedent was set. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you have to balance uh, the strategy with with our frustration w while this happens, right? It's we, we the most important thing here is is to act as strategically as possible and and hopefully put our emotions aside of this very fraught thing. Even though many livelihoods, many careers in this industry are at stake in in this delay. Yeah, I mean, just in the in movie theater exhibition alone, over ten thousand employees from New York State have been out of work. Um, you know, I don't know how many are going to be coming back. It's not a great number because the boroughs aren't open. Um, there are also, uh, I think, 12 other counties that have rates above 2% that aren't going to open upstate just yet. Um, so somewhere in central and western New York. Um, in the New York DMA, Orange and Rockland are not going to be able to open. Um, the, rest of the, the rest of the counties are, um, you know, farther upstate and further west. But the whole Albany area and north will be just fine. And I think west out to Syracuse, all that is all good. Um, but going down south from Syracuse, Cortland County, uh, Broome County, Tioga County, all those are still not able to open because their COVID rates are above 2%. But Manhattan isn't, once again. You know, the only only question I have is uh, the big one and the tough one to answer. Uh, you know, what does this mean? What does this not mean? And when is New York City going to reopen? Joe, if you want to take a shot at whatever you can offer. What's there. in that crystal ball, Joe? Yeah. Sure. Well, um, you know, I can honestly say that NATO of New York State and our, our members will be continuing to fight to uh, get New York City open as soon as possible. Um, the scary thing is, if the governor were today to say, okay, you can open Manhattan, you know, it's a kind of a chicken and egg situation. So say we open Manhattan, we don't have anything to play. I mean, right. the students are really going to have to step up and fill in that calendar. Um, you know, hopefully Wonder Woman will stay on, on the uh, Christmas date. But, you know, I, I, I understand the economics of it. And it's a big movie. And Warner Brothers already took a big risk with Tenet. And, uh, you know, I don't know that they're going to be willing to be the only player, the only big player out there at Christmas time. Um, you know, they've been very, very good to us. And, and we're hoping that, uh, you know, we can get open for them in time for um, for Wonder Woman. But you know, with Regal being closed and, you know, let's say Wonder Woman stays on the calendar. Um, let's say that, you know, that's it. So what, what happens in January, February, March, if there's no big movie uh, slate set, our theater is going to be able to survive and stay open, particularly in New York City. I mean, with the rent so high, 
um, what are they going to do? Rent and pay and everything in New York is just, you know, super expensive to operate. And even outside of New York, it's just crazy. So theaters everywhere are going to have a big struggle to, uh, in in the next few months, uh, to play the chicken and egg game with the studios. That's Um, a great point. I hadn't even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. If if the quote-unquote big problem we're facing, which is New York City closed, is solved tomorrow magically, New York Mm -hmm. City is magically opened, that actually might be worse because you're going to have these theaters that have to wait God knows how long for the studios to actually commit to something in this industry. Either the studios commit to a slate or the exhibitors commit to being open, both of those options would be met with a lot of uncertainty. So somebody's going to have to stick. And those are the those are the conversations going on with the studios right now. Once New York and LA are permitted to open, the studios are really going to have to step up and backfill that calendar. You know, uh, you know, we get Christmas and Wonder Woman, and, and hope to God that stays on. But you know, really, the scary thing is let's let's make sure January and February are packed with big titles so that we can get our industry back on track and and uh, you know get. Uh, get it where it should be again. Um, and I'll say that, you know, it's, I've mentioned before that our audiences are coming from, um, New York into Connecticut and New Jersey. I've spent a lot of time at our theater in Stanford, Connecticut and, um, talking to people and not one person has felt unsafe. Obviously you guys know there have been no cases of COVID transmission worldwide, not just even in the U S but worldwide attributed to a movie theater. Um, Yet movie theaters are always the first ones, you know, once an outbreak happens, oh, shut down the theaters. We didn't cause it. You know, that's what's going on in Canada right now, both in Toronto and Quebec. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, in Toronto and Montreal, um, I I, uh, just hope that, you know, the studios fill in that calendar and, you know, people continue to enjoy coming to the movies. Um, They have been feeling very safe. It's been, you know, decent seeing people back but you know honestly we have two theaters open in connecticut and basically to serve new york um because they're closed be and 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 you know of course our connecticut audience as well but we have eight locations in connecticut and the rest haven't opened yet because we just don't have any titles to play anything major well joe thanks again so much not only for joining us but also for your fight in leading this effort uh, alongside with your colleagues over at native new york uh a fight that really has global consequences and global ripple effects I know it hasn't been a, a very easy number of months for anyone in this industry, but uh, again, our, our deep appreciation to everyone at NATO of New York in this effort. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me today. Thanks again to our guests, Jesse Rifkin and Joe Masher, for joining us on the podcast today. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Caitlin and recordeditpodcast.com. Tune in next week where we will once again delve into the world of theatrical exhibition and the latest headlines for the movie theater industry. On behalf of Rebecca and myself, thanks again for joining. <laughs>